What's up, guys? Brennan Joseph here. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This past week, we had my friend Jonathan Stamper in the house. It was incredible. I really believe he brought a message that is prophetic to our generation about standing firm in the truth of the gospel. A real impartation of boldness was caught in our community, and I pray the same happens to you as you listen. We got some work to do tonight, and so I'm going to ask you real quick to turn in your Bibles to Galatians 1. I'm going to start. Um, let me see where I want to start. I, I'm, I think we're going to start probably maybe around verse 5 or verse 6. I got to check really quickly just to make sure. Yeah, let's start. Let's start at verse. Yeah, let's start at verse 6. And we're going to end at verse 12. Uh, I'm reading from the New King James Version. And before I get into this, I just want to, I want to say that what I feel, I told the team in the back that I feel tonight is extremely prophetic. Um, and what the Lord has given me to share, I, I, I believe is a prophetic word, not just for you personally, but I believe um, if the Lord is faithful to what he's spoken to me, it'll be language for what he's about to do in this nation and the role that this community will play in what the Lord is about to do. Um, because he's been visiting me and my family around his intentions for um, this next phase of his plan in this nation. And I believe that this community plays a pivotal role in what God is doing specifically in this region, but in the nation at large. And so I want you to hear this as a prophetic word, not just um, to the community, but to you personally, as well as language for what the Lord is about to do in, in this nation. Okay. Starting at verse six, it says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For I, do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't have a title for this sermon, so hopefully by the time the podcast is done, I'll come up with something. But I want to kind of start this conversation out by being transparent with you and saying that my heart is heavy. It's heavy in a few different ways, but at the same time, my spirit man is arrested. It's been in the midst of some very significant encounter. In other words, my, my emotional state is one where I feel the weight of some things that are happening, but at the same time, in my innermost being, there's a sense that God is about to do something profound. And I believe 
that this is not just for me. I believe this is for the body of Christ at large. I believe we have reached a point in human history where many of us will discover the very reason why we were born. Because of what is about to take place in the earth, we're going to get some answers to those lingering questions of what my purpose is and um, why I'm here, why God spared me, why he kept me, all the good stuff. But in order to get the clarity that we need, it will have to be in response to a question. And it's a question I've been asking myself for a really long time. It's a question I've been asking myself in and out of season, having seen amazing things in the church, in ministry, etc. I've still had to ask myself this question. And the question is, where is the power of God? Where is this glorious move of the spirit that we have so longed for? Any, any people in the room hungry for revival? <laughs> hungry for a move of the spirit? And I believe we've seen it in measures, but there's this thing inside of me that constantly nagging feeling that we are only experiencing but a measure of what the Lord has paid for. We're only experiencing but a measure of his desire and his intention for the earth. The Bible says in Habakkuk 2 that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And so it's not just God's intention for us to be met with um, sprouts or spouts of his presence, I should say, but he wants a deluge, uh, a rainstorm that covers the very face of the earth. And um, that being said, it requires something. When I look throughout the, the book of Acts, there is a power that I see active and alive in the church that in many spaces and places, not here, but in many spaces and places, even throughout America, I see is lacking. There is a promised measure that has been absent the church for far too long. And I, when I talk about power, I'm not talking about personal empowerment. I'm not talking about self-development. I'm not talking about believing in your best being and all that good stuff. The kind of power I'm talking about is that dunamis kind of power. You know what I'm talking about. The Bible describes the word dunamis as strength or power or ability. In other words, a supernatural force that gives capacity to do that which is impossible in human strength. There's a power source that makes demons tremble. Okay, I need a talk back church tonight, okay? Uh, I didn't come in here just to look at y'all, okay? So if I'm saying something to you that, that bears witness, just, just give me that, that, that grace, okay? I believe there's a power that is going to make it hard for people who are blind to stay blind. I, I believe there's the kind of power that's going to make it hard for deaf people to stay deaf. That if people want to stay bound, they're going to have to exert a certain amount of effort to keep the power of God from flowing into their life. That's the kind of power that I believe is about to be released in the earth. So how do we get to this place? Because the Bible shows us that this was the kind of power that was active in the church in its inception. So how do we get back to this place? How do we return to this measure? There really is only one way. And um, if you want to see the power of God, you've got to take this route. There are no alternative routes. There are no, no shortcuts or anything like that. If you want the power of God, 
this is the way. You have to have the Holy Spirit. And I want, again, this, this is important. Some of what I'm going to say is going to seem simple, but I want you to hear it with fresh ears. The Holy Spirit, I believe, has been treated in the church in many ways. And this is going to sound like a funny phrase, but he's been treated like the ugly stepchild of the Trinity. The one that we don't fully understand, that, that we're a little bit, we have a hard time with, so we kind of tell them to stay in the corner, but he's not the ugly stepchild of the Trinity. He's God. In fact, he is the, the, the greatest measure of God that we are experiencing in this current time. We're living in the reality of what Jesus has done, but the presence of God active and alive in the earth is the Holy Spirit. And he's been necessary not just now, but since the beginning. How do I know? The, the Bible tells us that Adam, the first human being ever created, didn't even come to life until the Holy Ghost entered the picture. How do I know? The Bible says that Adam was formed, the first man was formed, but he had no life. And it wasn't until the Lord breathed upon him, the Hebrew word being ruach or breath, another name for the spirit of God. That's when he became a living soul. In fact, we know the Holy Spirit is necessary because the Jesus that we worship did not raise himself from the dead. Huh, come on, I feel the Holy Spirit on this. The Bible says that the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. Which means the Holy Spirit that is present in this place right now is the same spirit that walked into a grave in a garden saw a body that was decaying and demoralizing it and becoming uh, less than flesh and started to envelop that space until sinews joined with sinews and bone began to join with bone once again. And the Savior that was crucified only three days later took another breath on the other side of death. That's the Holy Spirit that's present in this place. And that's the Holy Spirit that we have to adhere to if we're going to see the power of God in our lives. Now, if Jesus needed the Holy Ghost, what makes you so special that you can do your ministry, that you can do your personal Christianity, that you can do family, that you can do school, that you can do anything without him? If the very savior of the world, the one who was perfect in all of his ways, never sinned, never thought about sinning, that one needed the Holy Ghost, then what makes you think that you're going to get through this life without him? You need the presence of God. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the person of the Holy Spirit active and alive in your life. And we need the Holy Spirit to lead the church. This isn't even in my notes, but I feel this from the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts, actually that's not the, its full original name. Many people believe the book of Acts is named the book of the Acts of the Apostles. But that is also incorrect. Because if it was the acts of the apostles, it would be a man-centered story. So we try to figure out who's the main character of the book of Acts. Is it Peter? Is it Paul? Is it John? Is it whoever? But the original name of this book is actually the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. The book of Acts or the progenitory, the progenitory place where the church was born is actually the story of the Holy Spirit. 
We are living in the narrative of the Holy Spirit on the earth. We are living in the story of the Holy Spirit that bears witness to the Son of God. And so, if we're going to see the Holy Spirit active and alive in our lives in a fresh way, we've got to recognize that there are ways to unlock new realms of his presence, new, new um, capacities of his presence in our lives. How many people can say that they want more of the Holy Spirit in their life? Anybody um, feel like you don't quite have all that's available for you? How many people know that there's more that's active and available for you to receive in your life through the Holy Spirit? There are ways to unlock new realms of his presence. And there are a lot of people who will teach you a lot of things. And some of them are true. But there's one specific way that I feel is so important to highlight tonight, which is the, the heart of the burden that the Lord has arrested me over in this past season. The number one way to unlock a greater measure of the Holy Spirit in your life and another way to preserve a move of God, to produce and to preserve moves of God in your life and movements and communities is through a commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the power of the Spirit is the power of the gospel. The Bible says in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is what? The power of God unto salvation for those who believe. Now, we've heard it said that way, like, man, we've got to preach the gospel because there is no power to save people unless we preach the gospel, right? The message. But I want you to hear this a specifically different way, okay? What if... The gospel wasn't the power of God, but the message of the gospel was God's power to save. I want you to hear this very differently because I want you to, to recognize this. We can try to put our words together and, and put it together and say it all the cool ways and get all the different points. And it's extremely important. But the message of the gospel throughout history is not the, the points that we're able to put together. Hear what I'm saying? The gospel is the narrative of God's power to save. Hear what I am saying to you. And this is why the Holy Spirit bears witness to the message. It's because the Bible says in Acts 1, what? You will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The same power that is used to describe the gospel. It's the same thing. It's the same essence. And the gospel is testifying that God has power to save you. Is this making sense to you? My preaching doesn't have power. It's Jesus who has the power to save. Man, okay. I'm not going to stay on this too long. But you know it didn't take love to save you. It took power. Hear me correctly, okay? Because no matter how much I love you, if I get on a cross right now, ain't none of your sins forgiven. Oh, y'all missing me. It doesn't matter how affectionate I am towards you. It doesn't matter how many coffee hangouts we've had, how many football games we've watched. If I suffer for you, it ain't doing nothing to erase your sin. It took power to do that. Okay. And the hope of the world is not just that God is affectionate toward them, but it's that their sin is no match for the power within his blood. 
So the saying the gospel is not the power. The message of the gospel is that the Jesus we're preaching about has the power to save you. That your sin is not more powerful than him. That your shame is not more powerful than him. And when this message is preached, the Holy Spirit begins to bear witness. He begins to release the power of God into our environments. This is making sense to you? Do you know how much the Holy Spirit loves the gospel? I don't think we think about these things. We think about like the, the persons of the Trinity as though they're these fragmented individuals. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit was only committed to confirming one message. He's only committed eternally to the confirmation of the message of the gospel. And the way he does it is through signs and wonders. The book of Mark says this in Mark 16, after we get the Great Commission, what does it say? That the apostles went out preaching and the Holy Spirit confirmed their word with what? Signs and wonders. The Holy Spirit loves the gospel so much that miracles start breaking out whenever he hears it. Oh man, okay. Y'all not hearing me. The Holy Spirit loves the gospel so much. And when you start talking about Jesus and that cross and that blood and that crown and those, uh, those thorns and, the, and those whips and, those, and the, the beating and the battering and the bruising and the burial and the resurrection, when you start talking about that gospel, the Holy Spirit starts getting excited and saying, I got to do something. I got to do something. I got to do something. I got to do something because I, I can't help myself. I love this message. Okay. And the Holy Spirit loves it so much that he breaks out in power to make sure people believe it. Oh, man. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room tonight. I'm trying to tell you something. If you want to see power in your life, stop trying to preach your testimony alone. Stop trying to preach your your favorite new revelation and and the last self-help book that you read. You need to commit to the God. Okay. All right. It's fine. You've got to commit to the gospel. And I know I'm at every heart, so y'all don't think that, y'all think, oh yeah, we got that covered. I appreciate you, and I understand, because the leadership here has done an amazing job of cultivating a gospel culture. But the reason why this is important for you is because we're about to enter into a phase of human history where there is going to be great warfare against this message. And you've got to be assured that you understand and are committed to the truth of the message over just the points of it or over just kind of the overview of the message. Does this make sense? And so you may have heard it. For some, you may have preached it. You may have an overall understanding of it. But I believe tonight the Lord is inviting us to make a fresh commitment to the truth of the gospel. This revelation of the Holy Spirit's love for the gospel actually reveals the enemy's primary strategy for our day. Because if, man, if the Holy Spirit confirms the gospel with signs and wonders, and the devil obviously doesn't want you healed, he doesn't want your family free, he doesn't want generational curses to be broken, he doesn't want Michigan to be saved, He knows that if I want to try to restrict the move of the Spirit, all I've got to do is get people to stop committing to the gospel. 
And this seems rudimentary, but you'll understand why this is significant in, in just a minute. The Bible talks about the preservation of the truth of the gospel. And I believe that we are in a day where the gospel truth must be preserved. There's a lot of people who are preaching. There's a lot of people with gifts and graces, but the true nature and essence of the gospel has to be preserved. And there are people who have to take up the mantle to say, I will not allow a perverted gospel to be exalted in my generation. I will not allow a contorted gospel to be exalted in this generation. I believe the Lord is not just raising up preachers of the gospel, he's raising keepers of the gospel. Man, Paul describes it as a steward of the mysteries of God, which means you've been entrusted with a message and you're going to be held accountable to how that message was disseminated in your generation. You're going to be held accountable, not whether people necessarily repent, because if you preach it, that's your responsibility. People getting saved is between them and God. But you will be held responsible for the, the deceptions that you permitted in your generation. And this is a hard word, but I'm telling you, the Lord's been burdening me about this. He's calling people to be stewards of the gospel to be preservers of the holy message, the sanctity and the integrity of the message until everyone is heard. And this is, leads us to the scripture that we're reading tonight, where Paul is dealing with the Galatian church about this very issue. And, and you'll see as we have a conversation tonight that this is not just an issue for the Galatian church. We are living in this problem currently in the American church, okay? I'm going to try to do my best to be polite with this, but I feel, I feel the zeal of the Lord. So I'm just going to say what he tells me to say. Is that okay? Galatians 1 verse 6 says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. What you've got to understand is that we are in a cultural war right now. If you are familiar with what's happening in, in our country and its social state and its political state, you'll realize that we're in a war. And we often think that the war is one of a political nature. We think that the war is a, is a social or even an educational war. But this war is primarily against the gospel. And we don't realize this uh, because a lot of times as Christians, sometimes we, we try to kind of distance ourselves from it because we don't necessarily know how to respond to it. But the Lord has been inviting me in this past season to kind of get an awareness of the social conversation of our day. And he's been revealing to me the, the ideologies that have been exalting themselves against the knowledge of our God. And the warfare that we have to prepare ourselves for, especially as those who are believing for gospel movement. What I'm about to say will bear witness with some of you because I believe it's the truth. And if it's true, I just want y'all to verbally affirm it in some way. It feels like we're living in a culture today that is so riddled with deception that the very moment that truth is spoken, it is translated as an attack. It feels like it's impossible not to offend people unless you just full-blown lie. You just have to lie to people or else you're oppressive 
or else you're, you're, um, you're hating? Am I the only Christian in here who's felt this? That you feel, a, we feel a pressure to cave to this, this societal pressure to, to change standards, to change beliefs, to change truth. And the Bible promises that these days would come. And this means that those men and women who are, who are wild enough to commit to the truth are actually committing one of the most courageous acts that can be committed in our generation. Not just to say truth or think truth, but to commit to the truth. And this is the key thing to understand because, again, we, we can talk about different social and political issues, and I have no interest in that tonight because that's not what my objective is. But I want you to understand that every war against truth is not a war against an ideological position. It's not a war against a theological position. It's not a war against a political party. It's not a war against some kind of educational system. It's a war against the man. What is the name of Jesus as a portion to the book of John? He has many names, but one of the most famous is he is the way, the and the life. In other words, wherever truth is, Jesus is. So where there's a war against truth, it's actually a war against Jesus himself. Because he is truth. Truth is not information. Truth is a man. And when Jesus is revealed to us in his glory, we are having an encounter with the truth. We're not just having an encounter with love. We're having an encounter with truth. We're not just having an encounter with, with, with glory. We're having an encounter with truth. Not just facts, but truth. And this is so, so, so important because we have created a, a system of belief where truth and love need to be balanced between each other. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit more tonight, but the Bible never told you to balance truth and love. The Bible says to speak the truth in love. In other words, truth is found in love. In other words, if there's a version of love that you have accepted that denies the truth, it is not love at all. You are never supposed to be doing this, this dance, trying to balance love and truth. It is unloving to lie. Man, no matter how much people want you to, no matter how much people cry when you won't let them lie to themselves, it is not loving to lie. You can only love people when you're committed to the truth. And I believe that encounters with Jesus are not just encounters with a presence and with a feeling. They're encounters with the truth. And the challenge that we have whenever we receive the gospel, when a person receives the gospel for themselves, they have the challenge of either refusing the truth or submitting to it either hardening themselves to the truth or bowing before it. Because everybody has experiences with the truth in their own ways, but it's a matter of whether we'll submit to it or not. But the truth is found most clearly in our generation and the message of the gospel. We can try to find it in a lot of different places, but the gospel is actually the axis through which all truth relies. And so if you try to trace any conversation in your culture 
all the way down to its foundations. Where if you're looking for the truth, you will find the cross, burial, and resurrection of Jesus at the center of it. Hear what I'm saying prophetically. You can trace anything, any uh, uh, kind of culmination of fact in your generation and you'll begin to see the center of morality, the center of our experience in, in culture is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I could dive into this a lot, but I think it's important for you to know the weapon you have in the gospel, for you to know the power you, you possess in the fact that you are a keeper of this message. Galatians 1.7 specifically says that there are those who seek to pervert the message of the gospel. And this is really, really important, especially in the young adults movement, because whenever we think about a spirit of perversion, we primarily think of a three-letter word. Come on. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's all right. Hey, okay. That being said, though, there is a primary perversion through which all perversions submit to. And it's the perversion of the message of the gospel. Man, if you submit to the truth of the gospel, you can't allow other systems of sin, other systems of compromise to live in your life comfortably. So a lot of people are spending their time trying to submit that perversion to the Lord instead of submitting the primary perversion, which is the areas where they have not come into agreement with the gospel. I'm telling you, if you agree with the gospel, some of your, the things that you thought you was going to struggle with for the rest of your life will go away in an instant. Because the Bible says, you shall know the what? And the truth will what? It don't say set you free. It says make you free. There's a difference between being free positionally and your DNA becoming freedom. Your DNA becoming liberation. The Bible says that when you have an encounter with truth, there ain't nothing you can do but be free. You can try to stay bound if you want. But when you experience the truth, there's nothing you can do but be broken out of the prison you find yourself in. But there are many people who are trying to pervert this message. And there are a few specific perversions that I feel the unction of the Lord to, to illuminate tonight. Is that okay? First one is this. It primarily breaks down into two different different kind of perversions, okay? So, so I want you to write these down because how many people are preachers in here? How many people are either vocationally or, or kind of just living life missionaries, people who are committed to preaching the gospel in different places? You will encounter, if you have not already encountered, a version of these two different things, whether you're preaching the gospel in hand-to-hand combat or just cultural conversations that are happening in your day. And these take on many different faces but they boil down, I believe, to these two different frameworks, okay? So it starts here. To get understand the gospel, the Bible says in the book of Ephesians that we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. And so the two primary perversions of the gospel are as follows. Number one, work instead of grace. In other words, it doesn't matter what you preach or teach or believe. It matters how you act. According to a poll, American poll in 2020, 52% of American Christians believe that they are saved by their works. If you behave good enough, God will let you into heaven. This is like, what, like three years ago, almost four years ago, 
we're not talking about just an ancient reality. We, people who name themselves as Christians believe that they are justified by what they do and not by the cross of Jesus Christ. The majority of American Christians, according to this poll, submit to this truth. And so what we've got to understand is that when the Bible talks about the perversion of the message of the gospel, one of the primary ones is where we will believe that we are justified by our works. And it's very interesting to me that oftentimes we apply the principle that you're not justified by your works when it comes to negative behavior. But we resist against it when it comes to positive behavior. I'll use an example that may be a tad bit controversial. There is a person who is a well-known minister who fell away, who passed away recently. And I've been having several different conversations with different people where they've said that they believe he is in heaven despite the fact that he denied some of the primary tenets of the gospel because he was so nice to people and he fed the hungry and he clothed the naked and, and he was just the sweetest person you'd ever meet. And so why would God not let him into heaven? And we think that this is a moral message, but it's actually a war against the gospel. Because if I'm not justified by my bad works, I'm also not justified by my good works. And it's the problem with most Christians. They, they love the message of grace when it comes to what they've done wrong. But it frustrates us when it comes to what we've done right. Man, okay. I, I hope you're hearing me. We sometimes, tell me if I'm lying. I really don't think I am. So we'll start out going to the altar like, man, I just know I'm a sinner in need of a savior. But once you start getting your life right, you start getting stuff fixed and start getting stuff um, together, you start getting mad at God when you don't start experiencing some of the results that you feel like you need to experience immediately. And what that tells me is you believe that you are justified by your works. You believe God owes you something because of how well you behaved. Okay. Let's just keep on going. <laughs> the next perversion is a, a very popular one, which is false grace. In other words, it's, it doesn't matter how you act as long as you believe the right things. We so perverted the message of grace that we think it needs to be balanced with anything. And that's why we say stuff like hyper grace. I know I'm about to step on some toes tonight. But there is no such thing as hyper grace. Do you see anywhere in the Bible where God tells you he gives too much grace? No. He says where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Which means that what we're talking about is not hyper grace at all. It's a counterfeit grace. If there's a grace that gives you permission to sin with no sense of a repentant heart, it is not hyper grace. It's not grace at all. And I feel the zeal of the Lord that we got to stop saying stuff like God's grace can ever be too much. Because when God's grace gets too much, it becomes too much for your sin. Man, when the grace of God starts to apprehend you a whole lot, the, the thing that's not going to stay is your ability to sin. 
When grace grabs a hold of you, you ain't going to be able to stay in the mess that you're in. You won't be able to stay in the compromise that you've entertained for your entire life. That's why he says where sin did abound, grace did what? Much more abound. You are supposed to be in an overwhelming sense of grace. But the issue is we've been calling something grace that is not grace because it's giving us permission to sin. And the Bible actually says that those who do that have actually insulted the spirit of grace. Another way it says it is that it's treated the blood of Jesus like it's a common thing. And I believe that the Lord is, is jealous for his message tonight. That we have to preach grace, but we got to preach grace from its biblical position. Not the version of grace that our generation has tried to adopt. Whether it is our works justify us or it's that we don't have to change. We can stay exactly how we want and live how we want and God's just going to let us in. Both of these heresies are running rampant in our generation. Can anybody testify to this? Yeah. Running rampant. Amongst unbelievers, amongst church people, running rampant. But the few of these two um, falsehoods are not these messages themselves. This is extremely important. And this is where I believe the burden comes in. For those of you who have committed your lives to the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is where your burden comes in. 2 Corinthians 11 says that in addition to another gospel, there is another Jesus. And the fuel for false gospels is a false Jesus. Uh, this is extremely important. I say this with the fear of the Lord. Every false gospel is empowered by a false Jesus. You cannot look the real Jesus in the face and come away with a false gospel because it's the testimony of his life, burial, and resurrection. If you come away from an encounter with Jesus with either one of these gospels, then the Jesus that is trying to apprehend your life is a false one. Because the real Jesus doesn't need you to justify yourself. But the real Jesus has jealousy for you to behave in a way that reflects your love for him. And in this generation, in every generation, every Christian minister, every believer, every unsaved person will have to make the decision of which Jesus they want. Do you want the Jesus of the Bible? Or do you want the other Jesus? And this Jesus ultimately is summed up in a Jesus that is made in our own image. The perfect picture of this is found in the book of Matthew. It's a famous story that's often told during Easter time. Jesus, when he's in his passion story, Pilate brings him up before the people. The Pharisees are present. And he's pitted up as an option for a release between himself and another man. Does anybody know who that man is? Somebody said it. Say it a little bit louder. Barabbas, yes. But there are certain translations of the Bible, and this might trip you out, where his full name is actually described. And Barabbas is actually his last name. Do you know what his first name is? Jesus. Barabbas' life was described, he was a notorious prisoner. 
He was a thief. Who else is the Bible called a thief? And the people had to choose which Jesus they wanted. The Jesus that will require them to come under and submit themselves in humility, to release themselves from the prison of works and submit to the mercy of God, or the Jesus that will allow them to live however they want, because his moral standing was no better than theirs. You ever thought about why they would let a notorious criminal out instead of this nice prophet? Even if they didn't believe he was the Messiah, why would they let him out? Then why wouldn't they let him out? Why would they choose to let this notorious criminal out? I believe the primary reason is because of the hatred for the Messiah, but I believe another reason is because they wanted to select someone who wouldn't require anything of them. Because the Jesus that they rejected required them to live a different way, to believe a different way, to move a different way. And they wanted to hold on to their way of being so much that they rejected the one that the Bible says that many of them knew he was the son of God and still sent him to the cross. I believe that this is what's taking place in our generation right now. There is a full-blown attack where people are renouncing the faith, they're deconstructing. Well, many of them are not deconstructing in the, in the framework that we know. Many of them are still Christians. Many of them still wear collars. Many of them still preach sermons. Many of them still minister. But they have, they have come from under submission to certain portions of the truth. Which is why they won't speak out about it. Which is why they won't say much about it. And we've seen this stuff happen a lot in our generation where people who we never thought would start saying some kind of weird stuff. You ever, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you ever talk to somebody like, whoa, like, where did you get that? You know what I mean? Like, sometimes as Christians and you're like, oh, you know what I mean? Like, we was in the same church. We was in the same youth group. Yeah, am I the only one? And it'd be like, yo, like, like, yo, you know what I mean? Like, what are you reading, my boy? Like, it gets crazy. This is so, 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 so important because the more this begins to persist, the more you will be punished in a cultural level for speaking the truth. Hear what I'm saying, this is not to make you afraid, this is gonna position you for power. Hear what I am saying. The, the Bible says that the nations will rage against the Lord and against his Christ, which means that the truth we're talking about is how the nations will rage against him. They won't say that they hate Jesus in all cases, but they'll rage against truth. That anyone who speaks truth, will try, they'll try to silence them. They'll try to, um, to, to kind of ostracize them. They'll try to make them uh, look like a crazy person. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So when you submit to this gospel, there's a part of submitting to the gospel that many people don't submit to. It's the challenge where the enemy will try to intimidate you out of your commitment to this message. He will give effort and energy to get you to surrender to a false gospel and a false Jesus. Hear me what I'm saying by the spirit. I'm not saying this to scare anybody, but I'm saying something's about to hit Western Michigan, like the likes of which you have never seen. And within that, there will be a challenge. There will be a challenge. There will be a challenge. When the Holy Spirit begins to pour out, there will be a challenge to, to, to change the gospel so that more people come in. 
I'm, I, I'm saying to you what the Holy Spirit has arrested me about. I'm not trying to be extra. I'm telling you where we're headed in this generation. And there's a specific set of attacks that are released on messengers of the gospel. This is important. I'm wrapping this up in the next few minutes. This is important for everyone in here because I believe the Holy Spirit is about to commission you to release you into a gospel that the signs and wonders will follow. There are many of you who I believe by the Holy Ghost, you will see wheelchairs empty. I believe it. I believe that you will see many of you. I, I believe by faith that you will even see the dead raised. And it will be because of your commitment to this gospel, this truth that has traveled the four corners of the earth and changed the trajectory of history. But you've got to commit to the real message. And you got to know the ways the enemy will try to get you to give it up. Because for some, he'll try to get you to stop believing it. But for others, he'll just get you to stop saying it. You'll never stop believing, but you'll be too afraid to say it. Man, I feel the Holy Spirit right now. There are many people who believe the truth but won't declare it because of social consequence. And they, and they believe that they're good because they know the truth themselves, but they, they, have, they have extradited themselves from the burden that their generation has fallen into deception. Lived in the comfort of believing that they're fine because they know the truth. Wow. While their generation falls to decay because they're afraid to share it. I believe it's Hezekiah in the Bible where God directly rebuked him over something and said that his, the next generation would experience the consequences. And he said, out of his own mouth, I'm just glad it's not going to happen while I'm alive. I believe that God's challenging us to say, even if it ain't my problem, it's my problem. Even if it isn't my problem that they believe that, it's my problem. Even if it isn't my problem that that person's stuck in that system and that cycle, it is my problem. Because I have the message that carries within it the power to heal, the power to save, the power to deliver. And my commitment to it could be their deliverance. So these are the primary two ways where the enemy will try to attack you. And these are biblical, and I'll explain why. The first one is the fear of man. What we see here is Paul describes this here. He says, for do I now seek to persuade men or seek to or do I persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? And he says this key thing that, that will change the course of your Christianity if you catch it. He said, if I sought to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. In other words, being a Christian is the worst thing you can do if you're trying to be popular. Being a real Christian is the worst way you can try to get fame and influence in your generation. Being a Christian is the worst way you can try to spend the rest of your life making other people happy. Because the cross itself will require you to offend people at times. It will require you to do things that people do not understand. It will require you to say things to people that they do not want to hear. Well, Paul said, if I was in this to please people, I would have chosen the wrong career. And I believe it would set a lot of Christians free if they realized that pleasing people was not a part of the job description. 
People being pleased with you is not part of the job description. I feel this for some people in this room. Your parents being pleased with you is not a part of the job description. There are people in other nations whose parents have said, if you come home, we'll kill you because you decided to follow Jesus. But the Bible says, if you don't hate mother and father for my sake, you're not worthy of me. Doesn't mean you have to be disrespectful to your parents. That's not what I'm saying at all. But some people are going to have to make a decision tonight. Will I be loyal to Jesus or will I be loyal to the plans that other people have made for my life? But the gospel will require you to offend some people. And the way the fear of man attacks you specifically is that the spirit of intimidation will try to get you to believe that you'll suffer unnecessarily, that you'll experience brokenness for saying yes to Jesus. Try to get you to be so afraid of what your life will become if you fully surrender to him. This is my personal testimony. I was afraid of what would happen to me if I said yes to God. The enemy used to attack. I never, I've never shared this story publicly, but I feel the Lord. I, I used to get attacked with the belief that the enemy was going to kill me if I fully submitted to my assignment. Like, legitimately. I, I used to have to pray constantly that planes wouldn't crash because I had such a fear that in my saying yes to Jesus, the enemy would try to kill me. And I had to get to a point where it was for God I live and for God I die. Not because I believe I'm going to die, but because as long as the fear of death was something the enemy could hold over me, he would restrict me from the fullness of my surrender. So for me, I had to say, listen, I don't want to die, but if I'm going to die doing something, preaching the gospel ain't a half bad way to die. Man, I'm, I know I'm talking good in here. This is a heavy word, but this is real life. This is from in here. This is where movement is preserved. This is where the nations are turned over as the inheritance of God. The fear of man. For some people, it may not be that dramatic. For other people, it just might be you are afraid of people not liking you, misunderstanding your, your surrender to God. People that you've loved and been loyal to saying, man, she is so weird now. <laughs> now tell me I'm right. This is a real thing. Like, it's hard. It's hard to accept that you're, in a lot of ways you're going to have to surrender to becoming the thing you used to make fun of. Any church kids in here know what I'm talking about? I used to make fun of people like me. And one of the biggest barriers I had to accept was I'm going to be the butt of the joke now. Man, I, I, hey, I, I know I'm, I'm telling the truth. Saying yes to Jesus was going to cost me my pride. It was going to cost me the fear of losing influence with people. But the second way, and this is really, really important, and this is one that we do not um, explore often enough in our generation, but I believe for some people this is going to be deliverance for you tonight. The second way the enemy tries to intimidate you out of commitment to the message is through shame. This is why in Romans 1, Paul says what? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. He could have used any word. But he used that word specifically because there was a temptation in his generation to be ashamed of the gospel. To be a Christian who is ashamed 
of the message. And I believe, and hear me in the fear of God. I, I'm saying this because I heard the Holy Spirit say it. There are many people in our generation who carry shame over the gospel. And the reason why I know they carry it is because they feel such an obligation to edit it. Have you ever thought about, how do I say this? Have you ever thought about um, the fact that heaven doesn't apologize for God's wrath? But we feel, a com we feel the need to apologize for it as if it's his character flaw. I'm not saying, I don't understand all of his wrath, right? I'm still, under, I'm still coming to understand it. But what I won't do is make it seem like God has a temper problem. His wrath is holy. His wrath is just. His wrath is merciful. And it's good. And just because I don't always understand it doesn't mean I'm going to apologize for it. Because that would insinuate that he's not holy. And he made a mistake somewhere. This is important, man. There are positions where we have to try to be culturally comfortable for people. We have, we have become ashamed of certain parts of the gospel. One of the areas where we've become ashamed of the gospel primarily is its requirement for holiness, its requirement for full surrender. We felt bad that God wants people free from sin. Man. We felt guilty that God is asking people to lay their bondage down. That would be like walking into somebody, walking up to somebody who has a life sentence in prison with tears in your eyes like, man, I really wish you could stay in here, but Jesus said you have to leave. What? <laughs> Doesn't that sound crazy? But that's what we do with sin. That's what we do. Man, it's just, I, I know this is really hard for you to let go of, and I don't understand why God doesn't let people do it. I'm saying this in the fear of the Lord, guys. I promise you, I'm not just trying to be extra. I believe the Lord is saying, will you choose to not be ashamed of me? Not just will you say points, but will you choose to not be ashamed of me? Will you not try to cower when your culture tries to get you to be ashamed of me? Because I wasn't ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed to call you my son. I'm not ashamed to call you my daughter. I'm not ashamed to call you my bride. Will you be ashamed of me? Will you be ashamed of me when your culture tries to get you to say, man, how could a loving God send people to hell? How, will, you, will you be ashamed of me when the culture says, well, God made me this way. Why would he ask me to give it up? Would you choose to say, I don't necessarily know why, but I know it's for a good reason? Because he's always right. He's always holy. And everything he does is love. I believe that the Lord is calling many of you to a place in him that you've never seen. The, the man can come up. Because this gospel will only go forward in the fullness of its power 
when a people adopt a boldness that says, no matter what I lose, no matter what people think of me, I'm committed to this message, the full message, the real message. The gospel presentation that was given tonight was phenomenal because it didn't leave anything out. Wasn't afraid to tell people they needed to repent. And I just believe that tonight God is calling many of you to be carriers of the gospel. And his power is going to flow from it. And this is how you do it. Because the apostles in the book of Acts experienced the same challenge. And I, if, I don't know where Max is, but if at least Max can come up. I just feel the Lord's going to start visiting some people right now. The apostles were faced with a very similar threat. Where the Pharisees that... Um, that obviously didn't enjoy the message of the gospel going out, threatened the apostles in ferocious fashion, um, threatened them in all different kinds of ways and said, you can't preach this message anymore. And they basically said, whatever you do to us is between you and God, but all we can do is testify of what we've seen and heard. Now imagine if somebody had thre literally threatened your life or your freedom you know how much boldness it would have taken to say that in response? But then they go back to the house with all the homies, where everybody's praying. And they begin to pray. And in their prayer, they don't ask for understanding. They don't ask for empathy. You know what they ask for? They ask for boldness. Somebody who looked the law in the face and said, I refuse to stop saying the name of Jesus. Doesn't sound like a person who needs boldness. But even they knew for this next level of what we're about to step into, there's some fear in here that I gotta lay down. There's some, some difficulty I have with certain parts of the gospel that rub people the wrong way that I gotta lay down. Not because I understand it all, and not because it's going to make my ministry big, but because he's worth it. Because he's worth it. And the Bible describes it this way, that they asked the Holy Spirit to grant them boldness to declare the word of the Lord in a greater measure, and that signs and wonders will be wrought forward through the, Holy, through the servant Jesus. And the Bible describes it this way. That as they prayed, the place where they were standing was shaken. And that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak the word of God with boldness. They didn't even ask for people to get saved. Because they believed in the message. They asked for the boldness to preach it the way it is. They asked for the fear of God to say it, because they knew if they had the courage to just say it, people would get snatched out of the bowels of hell. They knew that if they just had the courage to say it, people would get healed, people would get delivered, people would get set free. The issue wasn't with the gospel, it was with their boldness to share it. And I believe tonight that that same Holy Spirit wants to preserve the very move of God that he has authored in this place and throughout the nations of the earth through a commitment 
to the bold proclamation of the gospel to a generation who is raging against the Messiah, who is raging against the Son of God. Jesus is looking for a generation who will say, I don't care if you hate me. I don't care if you spite me. I don't care if you unfollow me. I will preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if I live, I live. And if I die, I die. Whether I die physically or I die socially, let it happen if it's for his sake. Oh, man. I feel the Holy Spirit so strong in here because he's apprehending many of you. He's saying that if you let go of the fear of preaching this gospel, you'll watch how other fears disappear from your life. The personal shame you carry over your sin is not because of your sin, it's your shame over the gospel. If you celebrated the gospel, you'd celebrate the work of Jesus in you and you'd stop feeling like you had to be perfect in order to be qualified for heaven. Most of condemnation, man, I feel the Lord right now. He's ministering to people. Condemnation is shame of the gospel. Because you are ashamed of the fact that you need the blood of Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I feel the Lord right now. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be afraid of the consequences of preaching it. Say yes. And I believe that what we're witnessing right now is only a tithe of what the Lord is about to do. I believe that this region is going to be shaken. I hear this prophetically, team. I want y'all to, to hear me. Uh, the Lord has been talking to me. I believe that before the end of next year, y'all are literally, like, y'all not even going to be able to have gatherings in here. This is going to just have to be an office space. I'm telling you that what's about to happen in this region is going to be unnerving. But it's, it, um, the way it's preserved is through the preaching of the gospel. The commitment to the gospel and so tonight what we've got to do is in our own ways we gotta we've got to repent and we've got to recommit again and I believe that that the impartation of the Holy Spirit is gonna fill this room and so wherever you are if one of these things apply to you if you've been entertaining a false version of the gospel if you have been knowing it, but you've been afraid to share it, you've been afraid to preach it. So what I want to do, I, you know how we usually do that, every head bowed, every eye closed, but I feel like that would go against the whole message if we did that, right? <laughs> so if you know God's calling you to new boldness, and he's calling you to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus by way of commitment to the gospel, I want you, with everybody's eyes open and everybody's heads up, I want you to stand on your feet right now. Wherever you are, I just want you to lift your hands. Close your eyes and see the Lamb of God. And in your own words, tell him you're sorry. For every time you tried to edit his message to please people, every time you've questioned his goodness because of a personal offense, every time 
you've wrestled against the blood because you didn't want to have to be the one that needed it. You were fine with other people needing it. But when it came time for you to need forgiveness, it was difficult. I want you to say sorry. I want you to get religious. I want you to look the Lamb of God. Look at the Lamb of God and tell him, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If it's for the fear of man, I want you to tell him, I'm sorry for entertaining the fear of man. I'm sorry for not preaching because I was afraid of what people were going to think. If you, in humility, if you know that there are parts of the gospel that because you do not understand them, you've entertained personal shame over them. I want you to repent to the Lord right now. Tell him, look at the lamb and tell him you're sorry. I don't understand all of why you do what you do. But you weren't ashamed of me, so I'm not ashamed of you. You weren't ashamed of me, so I'm not ashamed of you. You're, you're holy and you're just and you're perfect and your message is beautiful. Your message is beautiful. Your message is beautiful. Your message is beautiful. It's as beautiful as you. Tell them, tell them. Fill this room. If, you, if this applies to you, I want, even if it's the sound of groans and tears, don't be quiet. Don't be quiet. Jesus did not quietly stroll to the cross. He was silent, but his love was loud. I want you to say it. I want you to tell him. 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 Fill this room with the sound. As you're there, I want you to do this. I want you to receive the forgiveness that Jesus has apportioned to you. So wherever you are in your own words, I want you to receive Jesus' forgiveness for every way that you've abandoned his message. Just tell him, I thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for your patience for, with me. Thank you for your mercy toward me. Thank you for your willingness to teach me how to get it right. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that my mistakes don't, don't catastrophically end my life with you. Thank you that there's still mercy for me. Thank you that, that the blood is good enough for me, too. Thank you, Lord. 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 For the abundance of your mercy and the abundance of your grace. Thank you. That you being a righteous man forgives 70 times 70. <laughs> oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. I want you to get lost real quick in the mercy of God. Hey, because it's his mercy that's the foundation for the boldness. Ah, thank you, Lord. Come on, come on, come on. I want you to get lost in that mercy. And if it ain't about the gospel, if you got other stuff that you got to repent for, I just want you to confess it to Jesus and receive forgiveness right now. Receive the mercy of God right now. Receive his love. Receive his affection. Receive his, his reunion in his heart to you. He never separated himself from you. But now this is out of the way. You can experience him in a whole new way. Come on, receive it, receive it, receive it, receive it, receive it. Hey, 
Brandon Kylie, I feel y'all keep going here. I feel something's about to happen in this region that's going to require this, you guys and your whole, and this whole team to step into something totally new. And that what's been happening has been a, it's a foundation laying. But I'm telling you, something is about to break out like you guys have never seen. And you've been preparing for it because you've seen it. You know that this is only a portion. But I'm telling you, some, some wild things are going to happen. I literally see where, where news media in this region is going to start tracing these gatherings. And there will be an attempt from culture to try to get you guys to say stuff and try to get you to get, but there's a boldness he's placed in you that you're ready for that our generation is going to hear. I, I even specifically for you, Kylie, I hear it's that our generation is going to hear the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ in a really, really, really unique way. I, I believe it's even specifically a portion to womanhood and motherhood. And there's going to be something he places on you to radically declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to take an axe to the war against true femininity in our generation. I believe this. So heavy. And I believe that as, as you guys step into this, you're going to watch the power of God break out in, in ways that are, that are going to be hard to even explain. I'm telling you, the whole team I, and all of you guys who are committed to this message and this movement, you're going to watch some wild stuff happen in your life. But it's going to happen on the other side of the yes you're about to give to God right now. And I'm telling you, when you say yes to him and to this, when you say yes to him to this, the Holy Spirit is going to shake this place. Oh, Jesus. Hey, the Holy Spirit is about to shake this place. And new assignments, new vision, new resources, new authority is going to hit your life on the other side of this yes. So wherever you are, lift your hands to Jesus.